1: This in season edition of the Philocrosophy podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on custom timepieces that commemorate life's greatest achievements. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie of Penn in the late 80s, who led his team to the Final Four. John is best known for being the goalie that was dunked on by Gary Gate in the Air Gate in that 1988 Final Four game. Oxia makes beautiful Swiss made self winding watches whose design and quality match the essence of the memories they represent. Andy and I can attest to the quality. We each own a Brown University OXIA watch, and it's pretty much the nicest thing we own. One of OXIA's specialties is creating timepieces to celebrate storied team or championship victories. Check out the 2021 UVA National Championship watches or the Cornell Lacrosse team watches we created last year. You should really see the University of Georgia football team national championship watches or the Deerfield Academy lacrosse team watch to commemorate their national championship in 2021. New for this season, OXIA is creating all American watches to celebrate the student athletes that earned this incredible achievement. They've designed unique timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. If you want a custom watch to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments, Check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the in-season podcast with PLL Chaos head coach, Andrew Towers. What up, AT? How are we doing? Doing well. Fired up for uh, the final four this coming Saturday. Fired
0: up for PLL training camp, which uh, we are scheduled to arrive this Friday to go two a days on Saturday, Sunday, uh, I think Monday, and then uh, a scrimmage on Tuesday, and then we got to make cuts. So it's uh, a lot going on, man.
1: A lot going I can't on. Wait to see, um, I can't wait to see the uh, media coverage, the videos coming out of training camp. I love watching. Those training camp PLO highlights they are so sick. Yeah, RJ right. does it.
0: And RJ is truly gifted. I mean, he does just an awesome job of yeah. capturing the the uh, the vibe and uh, the excitement and the intensity. And he is he's truly gifted, no question about it.
1: What um uh, so so where where is that training camp in Albany or something? It's at Albany. Albany, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you stay in mm-hmm. the dorms or whatever? Say so that, yeah, we're staying, thought,
0: we're, staying, yep, we're staying on campus in the uh, I think they're called the Liberty Terrace Apartments. And um, then we have week one there. So we've got essentially training camp for six days. And then I think they give them one day off. And then uh, and then we start, we have, we have a Saturday games. So we'll have our first team practice after cuts are made on uh, Friday, June 3rd. And then I think the uh, ESPN moved our game versus the Whips up to the 215 game. And then the Atlas or the Redwoods are on uh, ESPN. I think they did that because we are going to miss some of our players due to the NLL PLL conflict, which is disappointing for us in that we won't have those players, but we are 100% behind those guys going out and uh, capturing the NLL championship, and then uh, and then coming to hopefully help us uh, win the PLL championship, which would be great. So we'll see. Nice man, cool.
1: Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk a little college across. So, uh, did you watch the games this weekend?
0: Watched them all, start to finish, and yesterday toggled the Rangers game with the uh, the Virginia Maryland blowout. Thankfully, that made leaving. The Virginia Maryland game easy to catch the Rangers' dynamic win over the Hurricanes, who are scary as hell. All
1: right, let's start off talking about Cornell Delaware. Uh, Delaware kind of continued um, their really high level of play with great defense um, and uh, really took it to Cornell um, till the till really the fourth quarter, right?
0: Yeah, it was an awesome
1: game i i honestly i thought
0: i i had predicted that cornell was going to win the game like 14 to 10 and ironically they were up 10 7 and took a shot on an empty netter and i was going to cling to a four goal cornell win which is what i had projected even though it wasn't quite as high scoring as i thought it would be i was really impressed with delaware you know they they uh you know, were able to generate high quality shots within scheme on the offensive end. They were athletic. They uh, competed head to head against Cornell in all the blue area, blue collar areas of the game, which is you know sort of Cornell's signature mark. They beat you up in those eras areas, and and I thought Delaware uh, went blow for blow with them. I think in the end, um, Cornell just had a, a little too much balance on their offense, and they were able to uh, win some critical face-offs. Petrakis was critical in this game. I thought he would um, win the majority, um, you know, but I I actually think he won a little bit more than I actually thought he would win. Yeah. Um, But this game, you know, kind of went to script. I I think Cornell is a little more talented, um, a little more experienced in these big games, but you got to take your hat off. Uh certainly to, to Ben DeLuca, who got his team ready to play and, and, and was able to get a great upset against Georgetown last week. and came in and certainly gave Cornell everything that they could handle. But in the end, uh Connor Busick, the big red attack, Adler of defense, Petrakus at the X. Erlin played a good game. You know, this, this is a this is a great team. And and we've touched on a little bit in last week's podcast. I, I feel like Richie Moran is is overseeing this program and I'm not surprised to see them in the final four. Um, I do think if Georgetown had not lost to Delaware, I think Georgetown would be in the final four, but you know, you play the games for a reason and Delaware knocked them off when it mattered. And, and, yeah. and Cornell uh, was able to knock Delaware off and they deserve to be in the final four. I'm just, I'm just so pumped that it's two Ivy league schools. And two Big Ten schools, because I think that those were clearly the two best conferences throughout the year. Yeah, and uh, you know it's fitting that there are two teams from each of those two conferences in the Final Four.
1: I think it went to script by the by the fact that Cornell won. We thought they were going to win, and maybe they could have won by more, and they were up by three. Look, but I, I thought Delaware really held Cornell down from scoring as much as I thought they would score. Like, I mean, I thought the 14 to 10 wasn't just a margin of difference. It wasn't just a differential. I just thought they would score 14 goals. I I thought that the way that um, Delaware was able to hold Georgetown down, um, you know, had a lot to do with matchups. And I just thought the matchups would be a little bit different because I just felt like Cornell dodges polls a lot more, you know? And so anyways, they just did all the job on defense.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think that Owen Grant did a great job on CJ Kirst. CJ Kirst had a great goal, but it was off ball. Uh, you know, he he did a good job on 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 uh you know getting open on a lefty pop-out, you know, sort of sort of came into pick and then sort of acted like he was out of the play and, and did a little pirouette and then popped out. Yeah, that was you know, to a left-handed, you know, catch and finish. And it was a great you know, shot that he put away. But but certainly you got to look at that matchup and say, oh, and Grant, you know, won that matchup head to head and, and uh, played an outstanding game, had a tough penalty down the stretch. But honestly, the game was over at that point. Um, and it does show the passion in which the Delaware Blue Hens competed with did. Uh, throughout the game and, and, and really during the second half of the season. I was super impressed by the shooting of Ty Kurtz. Uh, frankly, you know, you look at a guy like that, you know, I could see him fitting into what we do on the chaos in the PLL very, very well. He's got great hands. He's got a great feel for how to find shots. He's got a great release. And, you know, he on the offensive end really carried this team scoring five of the eight goals that they scored. You know, one thing that I, I noticed about this Cornell attack, what I really liked about it is, what, and I haven't seen a lot of this, is when – the ball is coming down either in transition or if it's in settled six on six and they dodge from the top center, which they do a lot. And sometimes they back cut the adjacent. Sometimes they pull one up and pick. Sometimes they, you know, pull one up and, and, and make it look like they're going to pick and they slip it, um, you know, but, but when there seems to be an advantage there, I noticed that Michael Long who was playing behind the goal for the most of the game, you know, they did a great job of stepping that guy up into the crease as the extra guy. And I have not seen a lot of teams do that. Uh, You know, and whether that was him just hunting opportunities and and being mindful that he is the extra guy, if they're going to slide to the initiator up top or whether that was, you know, by design from coach Busick or not, that, Subtlety is something that teams are really going to have to be worried about because, you know, with an extra guy like that that's able to step in right in front of the net, whether he catches it and turns and finishes it, or whether they help off of one of the adjacent attackmen, you know, it's easy to see why they're getting some really high quality looks for the attack within the framework of their six on six. I, I really liked that; had not seen that very often, uh, and I'm curious to see whether that was scheme induced or whether that was just a heads up play on, on behalf of Michael Wong.
1: All right. So Cornell will be playing Rutgers. Let's talk about the Rutgers pen game. Uh, I didn't get to watch much on Saturday because I was busy, but I rewatched this game like an hour ago. Yeah. Um, But you know, Rutgers, I mean, you know, would they score five straight goals or something to, to, to come down, come back from eight, 8-6 8-6 to 11-6 or something like or 11-8 me, and then made 11 yeah. You know,
0: I I watched this whole game. I mean, what a fantastic game. I actually called a two-goal win by Rutgers. I thought it would be 12-10, uh, not 11-9. You know, we discussed last week on the podcast that Rutgers was going to be a, a bit of a problem for Penn, and I think that one of the reasons that Rutgers was a problem for Penn is simply because they've got a lot of grad students, a lot of guys that you know, are 22, 23 years old playing against, you know, an Ivy League team that just doesn't have that, um, you know, amount of, of men, you know, mature, physically mature men on their team. And Penn's a great team. They had a great year. Um, but I just think that the experience of Rutgers losing in the quarters and overtime last year to Carolina, the fact that they've had so many guys – come and play their final year of eligibility at Rutgers. Uh, You know, they, you hear all the time about Maryland. Hey, you know, they got 16 grad transfers and, and all this sort of stuff, you know, Rutgers is is not really any different than Maryland in that respect. Each of these teams have a bunch of critical game day players that have played for four years and are coming to play their, you know their last year of eligibility at Rutgers. And that combined with the fact that Rutgers is just not a team that you out tough. You, you just don't. They're they're similar to Adelphi and and uh you know Maryland and 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 some of these teams where they just you know they're always going to be the tougher team. And I think that they were the tougher team in this game. Penn gave them all they could handle. Uh you know they they you know fought back from where they were behind seemingly by a goal or two all the way up until it was six, six. And then Penn gets two good goals. They go up eight, six with about seven minutes left. And, And that's when the toughness of Rutgers really dug it out on a really hot day. And it looked like Penn, you know, just didn't quite have enough. They did a great job of minimizing the impact of Sam Hanley. Sam Hanley had three assists but honestly, it looked like he had four or five stick mistakes, you know, bad turnovers that yeah. that at times he had shown that he was was capable of doing that. You know, he missed some shots. They missed some shots yeah. that needed to be goals for them. And and there's no question that Kirst was the better of the two goalies. But Birkinshaw played a great game as well. He really did. But the MVP of this game. Was absolutely cursed, the goalie for Rutgers, and I think that uh, the, the the better team I think won this game. Um, you know, so that's what that's what I saw.
1: Yeah. Well, Zussi did a great job. You won two thirds of the faceoffs.
0: Yeah, we thought Zussi would do a good job. You know, I had not been an advocate of Zussi's all season long, and I had been wrong about him on a few different occasions, and and. You know, I saw his performance against Harvard. He went 18 for 22 in that game. They came back from a halftime deficit to win a critical Ivy League contest that helped them make the Ivy League tournament and ultimately make the national tournament. And last week's podcast, we talked about, I didn't give him enough credit and, and he stepped up and really gave Penn enough possessions to win the game. They just weren't sharp. On offense. And when they did get really high quality shots, they either missed the goal or Curse stole it from them. You know, Curse caught a lot of shots. You know, you you can't shoot the ball high on these goalies and expect to score a lot of goals. It just doesn't happen. You know, you got to make these guys earn it. The, The biggest sin for an offensive player is shooting a shot that the goalie catches. And the fact is, if you shoot with deception, And you use placement or release deception and you take it off the ground, whether it's a high bouncer, low and away or a low bouncer, you're forcing the goalie to try to catch a shot that's just really difficult to get a beat on. They're just not going to do it. And then the result will be rebounds, goals that go in where you're kind of shocked. And they just they didn't have enough of those two outcomes. There were too many outcomes where Kirk's caught their shots.
1: What was the reasons uh, why you thought Rutgers was able to kind of get it going in the end? Do you think that they just warmed down or do you think it was just like, um, you know, some, some mistakes you know, I think, at the right time? I think
0: for- it was the heavyweight fat fight back and forth. I think that the Rutgers ride really caused problems for Penn's clear and they were able to get a couple of second chance opportunities that way. Yeah, It seemed like when they needed that final push, That Rutgers got it out of their guys, and and in the end, you know, it seemed like Rutgers was playing an opponent that had about half the depth as them, and they were doing it on a day where there was 95 degree heat, a ton of humidity on the turf in, in Hofstra, and I and I think that, you know, for four quarters, you know, Rutgers was able to manage it down that last quarter of the game or that last, you know, half of the last quarter and, and Penn seemed to uh, just not have anything left in the tank. You could almost kind of see it happen down the stretch and you got to yeah. credit, you know, Rutgers and, and their, and their mental toughness. But I do think that Rutgers was the deeper team yeah. and they played more guys and they have more guys that are dangerous. I mean, how much can you ask out of Sam Hanley when he's taken every shift on offense And then he gets stuck on defense and they did a good job of making him play some defense, which certainly is going to wear him down over time. And if Penn, uh, you know, has a worn down Sam Hanley, you're going to get some turnovers out of him. You just are. But that kid's the best midfielder in the country and probably the best overall player.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit about Yale and Princeton. Uh, Did you watch this game?
0: Watch the whole thing. You know, I I think that um, it kind of went to script A little bit. And in one way, it didn't. You know, I I felt and you and I spoke about this. You know, clearly, Yale has been the better program the last 10 years. There's no question about it. Um, Yale has been the premier team in the Ivy League the last 10 years. Um, You know, but Yale, I just didn't think was playing that well. Yeah, they turned it over. they they, 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 They played pretty well against Cornell when they put them away the week before in the Ivy League semis. But then they played like shit in the final against Penn, and they looked for the first time in, I think, three, four years, it seems like, Yale looked directionless in the Ivy League championship. And then they go and they play St. Joe's, who we know are a very formidable and tough opponent, but your traditional lacrosse fans might not look at St. Joe's and think, wow, this is a team that you know, is capable of beating Yale. They absolutely were capable of beating Yale. And, and if and if Andy Shea hadn't made the change to put ball in at the X instead of Ramsey down the stretch against St. Joe's, there's a good chance St. Joe's would have knocked him off. And I just felt like coming into this game, Yale didn't look like they were playing very well defensively. It looked like there was a little bit of uncertainty as it related to their confidence at the face-off X. Uh, you know... I just I've always felt like Yale is the toughest team in the Ivy League the last few years. But on this day, Princeton was the tougher team. You know, Princeton was the team that was knocking guys down in front of their goal, where Princeton seemed to score three, four goals where the Middies just ran right through the Yale defense and stuffed it. And we're still standing up at the end of. You know they're shot, and and that's just not the way Yale has played the last few years. They have sort of pride themselves on on being the bullies of the league, and in this game, Princeton was the bully. They were the more physical team. You know they were the team that was you know leading all game long, and the better team. You know at the end of the season won this game. But typically in the years past, this has been a game where. Yale has proven they're a little bit tougher than their opponent and have gutted it out. Um, but I'm not surprised that Princeton won. You know, one of the things that Paul Carcaterra said when he was doing the game is, you know, Matt Madelon, you know, just hasn't gotten enough credit. And, and you know what? He absolutely has not, you know, three years ago when COVID shut down the season, they were the number one team in the country. Michael Sowers was absolutely unanimously the best player in the country. Yep. And, you know, COVID hits, Their season gets shut down. The second year gets shut down. Michael Sowers graduates or goes to Duke. Right. And now Princeton has to sort of reinvent itself, uh, you know, on both ends of the field. And now here they are in the final four. And out of the three teams left in the tournament, I I feel like this team might be the one that has the best chance of beating Maryland, but I don't think they're going to beat Maryland, but, but, but if Sandoval can somehow find a way to get to 65% at the X, I think the balance of Princeton's offense is something that Maryland hasn't seen a lot of. And this is a team that's playing with a lot of confidence. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think this game, I look at this and I'm like, all right, you know, Maryland's probably favored by six goals going into this game. But if Princeton wins a lot of face-offs and they and they sh- continue to shoot smart, it's a team that can put some goals up and then you never know.
1: Um, So well, Well, I think you can rely on what what they do, they can rely on it because they're not relying on winning matchups every time they can win some matchups too. They do dodge, but they play a wing two man game and they understand how to punish the defense for however they play it. And and, and they get really consistently good looks on both wings um, with various sort of you know, weave actions or pass down, pick down actions. And, and, um, and you mix that in with the fact that they got some guys that are athletic and can dodge and they move the ball and they move without it. I mean, I really love the way that Jim Mitchell um, I agree with you uh, with Madelon, and uh, it's actually uh, I'm a big fan of Jim Mitchell, the offensive coordinator too. I think he's done a phenomenal job um, sort of finding a balance of, of a uh, two man game in isolation and uh, scripted spacing along with just letting the guys play and move and pick seal slip off ball too. Yeah,
0: I, you know, a couple of things stuck out for me. Uh, you know, one favorable, one not that favorable. The, the, the first one is, I was really impressed with the range of the Princeton shooters. You know, the Yale goalie played really well. I mean, I think he finished yeah. with 20 saves, something like that. And he played really well. With that said, Princeton had a lot of range on their shots. I mean, they stuck quite a few 13, 14, 15-yard shots, it seemed like. And, uh, you know, in addition, they were very fundamentally sound shooters. You know, it, 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 they were putting the shots in spots that, you know, the Yale goalie really had to move to make the save. And to his credit, he did many times. But they also stuck some really smart shots um, and some good range. You know, the other area that I was sort of shocked about was Matt Brandau. I mean, like. You and I have been outspoken that this was the kid that, you know, we felt deserved the Ivy League player of the year based on, you know, how everybody played in league. Uh, You know, we also felt that he's played like a first team All-American and should be on the Tewarton list. And, And I stand by all of those things. With that said, I was extremely disappointed that he did not challenge George Bond at all. You know, it made me think that he was hurt or something, but it seemed like he was totally content with just moving the ball along and not, you know, challenging George Bond. And, and again, if they didn't feel like Matt Brando, Matt out could beat him off the dodge, then send some picks to him. You know, do yeah. some things that – Usually force... they do.
1: What's that? Usually, you know, the pick game – I mean, in the first matchup, Rando had several come around goals, if I recall, on pick game from, you know, from behind the net where they.
0: I think he was five and three in that game, but I don't think George Bond played in that game. He?
1: he may not have. I don't know if he did. I, I'm, too, I'm pretty sure I, he did not. But I do know that but, he dodged a lot in that game and they picked for him a lot in that game.
0: Well, it, it, listen, it, it's one thing to have a lot of respect for a player, but I don't care you know, yeah. who you are. If you are a first team All-American offensive player it doesn't matter who they put on you you have got to attack you've got to impose your will you know as an offensive player and and if if it gets proven that you can't beat that guy or worse he's putting the ball on the ground when you attack him then okay but but give it a shot you know brandow he never even gave it a shot like i don't know if he took george bond to the rack one time and I don't know how as a coach you stand and you see that and you don't you know uh, I, I I would have forced him to go I mean you, you you've got to put you, you you got to attack with your best players and and Matt Brandow was their best offensive player and he he it it, it seemed like he couldn't Be less interested in going after George Bond. It really uh, shocked me, to be honest with you.
1: The turnovers in this game were actually pretty equal. I was going to say, I was wondering if it had something to do with it. Yale threw that ball away so many times, Um, and they couldn't clear it. Yale could not
0: clear the ball. Yeah, and yet, and this is another example. We were talked about it again last podcast about. The amount, the the increasing amount of teams that are starting to ten man and starting to ride in a really organized and fundamentally, you know, sound manner. And 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 Princeton's ride caused Yale problems. You know, it says Yale was 17 for 20 on the clear. It Certainly didn't look that way, Jamie. Um, it it looked like, uh, you know, they cleared it about 75%. That's the way it appeared. You know, you look at the other thing, face offs. It just didn't seem like Yale won the face-offs. It seemed like Princeton won the face-offs. Um, I'm sure the stats are correct. I didn't stat the game, but in watching the game, yeah, those are two things that it, it seemed like uh, were in Princeton's advantage there, and 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 you know the better team won won this game. They did, and uh, you know they've earned their shot to get to the final four. You got to be happy for Coach manlon and his team.
1: Yeah, no doubt. It is remarkable how the stats are, though. The shots were 46 all, Shots on goal, 34-27. Princeton saves, 20-17. to 17. I thought Eric Pierce had a great game with 17 saves. I didn't realize Paquette had 20 turnovers. It didn't
0: seem like Paquette had that many saves. But, again, we didn't start the game. It didn't seem right. like he did.
1: Yeah. You know, um, yell out, faced off him, yell out, crown balled him. And, you know, I think the reason why the, the clearing stat felt so bad is because it was like I think three turnovers – all happened in the first quarter. So it just kind of make, gives you that feeling like this is not going well. But um, yeah, I mean, Princeton, man, they're pretty well balanced. They, they can, they're physical, they can dodge. They've got some Canadian sort of great shooters. They got the Maxi kid, the lefty, or what is Maxi, right? Brunswick kid, man, he steps up big time. And, you know, it's just tough, tough kid. And Slosher is tough. And Chris Brown, Strong, physical. I mean, these guys can like attack in a lot of good ways. shots. Right? What's they,
0: that? hey I said, Rhonda hit a couple of really good
1: shots. Did, man, he shot the shit out of it.
0: Yeah, it, it was it was impressive. I mean, Yale, Yale went down swinging, but it just kind of looked like Yale just sort of ran out of steam. You know, it was a little bit like, you know, uh, like a boxer that sort of realized that it was over for him, and 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 you never see Yale like that. But Yale got out
1: toffed in this game. They did. Were you surprised about this Maryland Virginia score?
0: No, not not by the score. Uh, you know, I honestly, I thought I thought Maryland would win like eighteen to twelve. That's what I thought. I was surprised at how much of a blowout it was. It actually was not even as close as 18-9. You know, it, it was it was just a clinic. Uh, sure you was. know, particularly in that third quarter, it, it looked like. Maryland could have beaten Virginia 25 to eight, you know, that's, that's kind of how it looked. Uh, This had to be particularly satisfying for Tills and Bobby and their team, you know, after getting eliminated by Virginia the last two years in the tournament, particularly last year in the national championship with the way that it happened and Maryland going undefeated and, you know, Virginia kind of having a lull and, and, and almost losing in the, in the tournament early. Um, you know, Maryland absolutely left no gray area here. And it's hard to imagine that they could beat a Virginia team that's that talented, particularly up front. You know, that guy that, that covered Schellenberger put him in a box. I mean, he didn't do anything, nothing.
1: He had no and point.
0: He got, he got completely destroyed. Matt Moore got destroyed. Uh, Petey LaSalle got destroyed. Uh, Jeff Connor had some good goals. Peyton Cormier scored a couple goals. Griffin shot short and scored some good goals, but um, you know, uh, the main players for Virginia got eliminated. And and this Maryland team, we've said it all season long. They just, they're the most disciplined team I've ever seen. Um, they do not have a gray area. I was talking to Paul Carcantara this morning. This is a team that you look at whether it's their, their defense, their, their their midi Ds, their short sticks, their face off group, their attack, they're all the best in the country. Seemingly, every unit is. I I just can't get over how deep, how complete, how talented they are. But, But the most impressive thing about them is how disciplined they are. They just don't make any mistakes, it seems like. No bad shots, no forced feed, no stick work mistakes. There is not a weakness. Weirman is absolutely the best face-off guy, and they're the best face-off group in the country. There's no question about it. McNaney was great in the goal, you know, when tested, the few times that he was. Hard to think that this team isn't going to win, the, you know, the next two games by by 10 goals, but, but then we would be discounting, you know, Princeton, who we just covered, who they're going to see in the Final Four on, on Saturday, and then obviously the winner of that Cornell Rutgers game. So they're, they're not there yet. You know, as much as we all want to crown them as, you know, the best team in the history of the sport, they still haven't won the national championship yet. They've got stuff they've got to do. They've got to check those boxes. But if they're able to win the next two games in as convincing fashion as they, as they won the last two games in the tournament, hard to not say that this team isn't right there with the John Hess, Chris Massey, Jesse Hubbard, Princeton teams, both of which are a step below The 89 and 90 gate teams
1: that I think are the best ever. It's amazing to me also how not only how good they are in every department, but even how good they are within different phases of, of offense. I mean, they can like hammer you in transition. And they can do it quickly. They can do it with like multiple passes off transition. And then they get you in early offense when you're trying. They're so good at the sub game. It's just absolutely insane. They just like kind of wait for you to try to run off the field. And that's like, usually that's something that, you know, Lars and Virginia are very good about because they've got guys that stay on. That's how they play. And they kind of out, out Virginia, Virginia at the game that they've wanted to play over the years. And then they shoot it so well. They move so well. They're two-man games, phenomenal. They can beat you off the dodge. They're inside game. They end up sort of compressing your whole defense. And they somehow do it where it's like, man, it seems so tight, but they just they start you out wide and they keep moving the ball until everything's compressed. And then next thing you know, they're just like shooting an eight-yard shot that you couldn't pick up with some difficulty. Yeah. I mean, it's, Unbelievable.
0: it's it, it and they do it to Virginia too. And, and that's a good point. You know, Lars and his staff, those guys never. Almost never get out coached when it matters most in the playoffs, right? They are always ready to play, and they got a game plan, and they got a secondary game plan, and they got a third, tertiary game plan, and they just—they've got it. But I think, I think this Maryland team is 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 the best coached team in the history of Division I lacrosse, at least since I've been. I've never seen a team this well coached. You know, not only in what they do schematically, but but the discipline that the team has in its entirety is shocking. And I agree. You know that exactly what they do. You know they they turn the other team's defense in six on six situations into an ice cream cone on a hot day, right? And and what I mean by that is if you go to Dairy King, and you get Queen, it's a little they give you bigger scoops, right? If you go to a Dairy Queen or a Dairy King and you get a soft-serve ice cream on a really hot day, what's the concern? You got to eat it really it's- fast. The con- Well, not that. The concern is that the ice cream is going to melt all over your hand, and you're going to have sticky hands, and then your wife or your mom is going to get mad at you and say, don't touch anything. You got to wash your hands, Andrew. And the fact is, is – it's like Maryland is holding the other team's defense in their hand, and they gradually just—they—they they never let their hand get sticky. They just are constantly licking around the ice cream, and it gradually the ice cream just disappears. And all they have to worry about is the soft spot at the bottom of the cone leaking onto their trousers.
1: Nice analogy. Look, Thank you. Looking at the, um, looking at the stats, as wild too. Just because they have got so many guys that contributed. I mean, they may, uh, look at that. 3 and 2. When 3 and 2. Owen Murphy 4 and 0. Donville 2 and 1. Kyle Long 1 and 1. And any one of those guys and then Publis the the shorty comes down 1 and 1. The faceoff guy with Owen 2. Keegan Khan 1 and 1. Daniel Kelly 1 and 0. I mean it just goes you know, on. one of the
0: one. it 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 does and, and it's it. reflective of a super disciplined team where everybody plays their role and yeah. I think that amount of people in the box score is also somewhat of a positive reflection on Virginia in that, you know, they're not allowing one guy to beat them. And, 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 and Clark said something interesting this morning today, which is, I mean, yeah, Logan is is the guy that statistically has been the most dominant player for this team and deserves, you know, to be a first team All-American player. But like, even though he's had a great year and, 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 it doesn't seem like there's one guy on this team that's necessarily like the best player per se, right? It's not like when Rambo, you know, led Maryland to a national championship or Schellenberger led Virginia to a national championship last year or Mikey Powell or Ryan Boyle or somebody like that. Like Wisnoskis still gets his within the framework of their scheme. It's not like they flip the ball to him and he's got the ball the whole time. He, he doesn't, you know, he's a, he's a part, of the whole and the whole has a bunch of parts that are super disciplined and super unselfish and all team first and that's what makes everybody dangerous and everybody gets into the action and for a team to be this disciplined offensively without sort of a a a true like
1: dominant quarterback style player is very unique I got to say, I think Anthony DeMeo is one of the most underrated players in the country, too. That guy is so good. And, and if you recall yeah. last year, I thought one of the big things that Lars did in that championship game was they put a poll on DeMeo. And it was like the first time DeMayo got a poll all year long. And it really yeah. changed the offense for Maryland last year. Now, this year, they got more depth. They got more guys. Yeah. Even though they lost Bernhardt, they just got more guys. So it just doesn't really even matter. And he probably still gets a short. But I'll tell you what. It became
0: less predictable with Bernhardt gone, too.
1: No doubt. The way these guys, the way DeMayo can beat you off the dodge, can shoot it, moves it, unselfish, feeds it. I mean, you know, pretty much everything. I mean, he's just like, man, what a good player that kid is. So impressed with him. Yeah, I, I, I agree. He's an absolute stud. All right, let's do our. Oxia Time Player of the Week: John Canaris, former goalie at Penn, best known for his Final Four appearance in 1988, maybe, but probably the fact that Gary Gate dunked on him with the air gate. And uh, <laughs> but he's created a, a pretty awesome watch company, and so uh, he gets me an AT here to pick an Oxia Time National Player of the Week each week. So AT, who do you got this week? Uh, for me, it is without a doubt. Uh,
0: Marilyn Fogo, Luke Weirman. I think he was twenty for twenty nine or twenty one for twenty nine. I don't know his exact numbers, but um, he went on a roll in the second and third quarters. He, he, and, yeah, uh, he
1: dominated. And, yes. it, 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 honestly, you're right because had had he not dominated, Pele Salad switch flips the roles on him. Maybe Virginia has a chance. Yeah, they do. I think they. I
0: think they would have a chance. I, you know, look. You win the face-offs against any dynamic offensive team. You have a chance. You do. Um, but when you lose face-offs to dynamic offensive teams, especially ones like Maryland, you're dead. And that's what happened. Luke Weirman stepped up, beat Peter LaSalle, a guy that had beaten him up in the past, and uh, and that was lights out for Virginia.
1: All right, I'm going with Colin Kirst. 18 saves, nine goals allowed in Rutgers' first ever, uh, final four, two New Jersey teams, by the way. So it's gotta be state. a little shout out to the state of New Jersey. People in Jersey are love their lacrosse. And so now they got two teams going to the final four, which is pretty sick. And, um, and yeah, so it's um, unbelievable year. Um, and, uh, pretty cool that him and his uh, brother get to play in the final four too.
0: Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, that's a great choice. That that kid was so good. He was. Uh, wow. Is he good? I, I just, I, I can't believe you it. Know, Yeah.
1: All right. So, uh, what's your picks in AT, what do you got? Uh, well,
0: uh, game one, I think is, uh, that's the Cornell game. Is that right? Cornell Rutgers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, my, my, my head tells me that Rutgers is going to win the game by three and a half goals. Um, but I just feel like Richie Moran is looking over this program and it's only fitting that it's the Richie Moran versus Tom Hayes bowl here uh, two of the icons uh, in the sport guys that did more for the sport than about anybody out there and it's only fitting that these two teams are playing in the final four but I feel like Cornell is going to win the face-offs I feel like as great of a goalie as Kirst is, I really love the Cornell attack. And I think Richie Moran is going to be looking over this program. And even though they've got a couple of injuries, um, it's going to be a little bit cooler at the final four this weekend than it was this past Saturday. And I think that will minimize the impact of Rutgers death. So I'm going to go with the underdog in this game, and I'm going to say that Cornell finds a way to upset Rutgers and make it to the national championship.
1: All right. Well, what about game two, 2.30 p.m. Saturday? Game
0: two, uh, you know, I think you're – we've talked about Maryland. we talked about Princeton. I just think that Luke Weirman is, is going to win the faceoffs, and I think that Maryland is going to end up with the same fate as every other team that Maryland has played this year. And while they've had a great year, and a wildly successful year, making it to the final four, I think this is the end of the road for the Princeton Tigers. I got Maryland winning by seven goals in this game, um, and so I got a Maryland-Cornell
1: final, first time since
0: 1977.
1: Yeah, second. It? it is pretty sick. And- Who do you have? Who do you have? I'm going with uh, Maryland and Rutgers, Big Ten final. Okay.
0: Just that's it? No support well, reasoning?
1: <laughs> I, think that, um, I think that Rutgers is going to be able to do a good job defending Cornell, and I think Rutgers has just got – I just think they're going to have more offense. Um, Cornell probably – you know, Cornell very well may win the face-offs. Um, they probably will. I think Curse is going to be able to – sort of mitigate that and, um, going with Rutgers. I think they're the more athletic team and the more top to bottom, better team. Yeah. Um, and then Maryland, you know, I agree. I think Princeton, I would love to see Princeton be able to knock them off and, you know, Me it's to a team twice.
0: And I can see, I, I,
1: like you said, if they, if they can win faceoffs, you know, they can make saves. Um, but I think Colin Kirsten has to have a great game. And I think, um, uh, and, and I think, um, you know, Princeton would have to win face-offs to be able to compete, but um, but I think it's gonna be a Maryland Rockers final with a Maryland national championship.
0: I got I got Maryland Cornell final and I got Maryland winning the national championship big. I could see it, you know, 16-7, 16-8, 17-8, something like that. I, Maryland's gonna score 15 plus on whoever they play. And I just feel like uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Is Bobby
1: Benson the best offensive coordinator right now, would you say?
0: I don't know how you could argue otherwise. You know, the fact is, is as talented as they are, what they are more than anything is connected. And that's the ultimate job of the coach. And Bobby's job is to get these guys connected and he's done it. Yeah. They have a lot of transfers in here and that certainly helps. But the challenge in that environment is getting guys connected that have been you know the best on their respective teams and aren't short on confidence and Bobby's been able to get these guys to prioritize the success of the team over their own individual success and he's done it perfectly really because there's not a player on this team that steps outside this offense ever and for him to be able to do that as much as it's scheme related, I think the bigger masterpiece here is his ability to get these guys to check their egos and their priorities at the door for the betterment of the team. And, and that's how they're playing. So it's hard to say that he's not.
1: Yeah. Awesome, man. So you're going to go? You're going to be there? No, I have training camp. I'm going to oh, be watching right. yeah, from me. the bar
0: at training camp. <laughs> Probably not from the bar. we love practice at night.
1: but No, after practice, maybe at the bar. Maybe the highlights. Maybe at the bar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. AP. what's that it sounds like a lot of fun so listen good luck with your training camp stay healthy Yeah, we'll check in have fun we'll be in touch uh thanks for doing right, this pod, and we'll uh we'll see you la- next week for the last one perfect bye bye man bye